Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. My San Diego Padres are taking on the Dodgers. We've got Braves, Phillies, Mariners, Astros, Cleveland, and New York. All of the playoff action is here, and BetOnline has you covered with all the props, parlays, odds, and promos for this week's action. Head over to BetOnline and use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 100% welcome bonus. That's right, 100% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is October 14th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. 1,055 episodes here on the Take It Easy podcast as we roll along through another fantabulous month of October and a fourth fantabulous football season. I am returning from Los Angeles. I drove four hours or five hours down, four and a half hours back to Sacramento to watch the San Diego Padres beat the Dodgers for their first National League Division Series win in 16 years. Shout out to the Padres, lovable losers, my entire lifetime, hometown San Diego team. We did four podcasts earlier this week about the Padres and how excited I am about this. So, like with Thursday, I'm going to wait until the series ends for the Padres to talk about it. I'm going to wait until the Astros make their sixth consecutive ALCS to talk about that. I'm going to wait until the weekend results come in for Major League Baseball before we do long-form conversations about that. And we've also been covering the holy hell out of this Buffalo and Kansas City game that's coming up this weekend. And we talked to Razor Rosenthal about Bama and Tennessee, which is a big college football game. So I'll let the results play out. And then we'll do post-games for those events. Today on the show, I would like to discuss the ESPN report done by Tisha Thompson and Don Van Nata and Seth Wickersham uh, with lots of details into uh, the timeline of events with Dan Snyder, the new revelations about him uh, in a ploy of desperation trying to get dirt on other NFL owners and being in a state of paranoia about everyone being against him and trying to take his team away from him, etc., etc. We'll do a deep dive into that, and uh, similar to how we followed this case, because we've done deep dives into the Deshaun Watson case, uh, and this one, we talked about LSU and and everything that happened there, settlements that happened at the University of Michigan and UCLA, and when, when I put my journalism hat on and really dive into a story, I want to follow those stories until completion, and 
with the Washington football team story, this story just went on for so long and it was covered well on a national level that we kind of weren't following the details as they were happening, like the congressional investigation opening up and details that got revealed from there. Uh, the conclusion of the Wilkinson report. Uh, when John Gruden news broke, we used that as a deflection to the Washington story instead of keeping the eye on the ball about what the Washington story was and why we got access to those emails from John Gruden and Bruce Allen and why we have pretty good reason to suspect now that Washington as a team, either uh, they, they talk about in the story with the approval of Dan Snyder or Dan Snyder himself, leaking that information to the New York Times and the Washington uh, New York Times and the Wall Street Journal with the thousands of emails with John Gruden and Bruce Allen that ended up being uh, the reason John Gruden got fired this time last year. And all of this has been a long two plus year story that goes back decades and has worked to try and remove, a problematic man who goes above and beyond the levels of problematic that we come to expect within NFL ownership circles and management and people within positions of power who are white men, who are billionaires, white conservative cisgender males who are, in this case, billionaires who all own football teams. If it's not a white man owning a football team, it's Chad Khan, or it's the spouses of white men who happen to own NFL football teams, and it's old money, and it's worth $100 billion. And there's all sorts of layers to this story that we're going to discuss. And as we've done when we talk about Deshaun Watson and when we followed the Matt Areza case, which coming up in the near future, I'm going to do a follow-up to that Matt Areza story that we did back in August, um, which was ended up being one of our bigger podcasts because it had a social media attraction and a conversation about San Diego State and the organ the institutional failure from a college that works like a government. Uh, we're going to follow up on that. And similar to how we've processed these stories, I want to talk about this within the context of first and foremost, what's most important is the moral and ethical part of this case, then talking about the legal aspects of everything going on with Dan Snyder and the Washington racial slurs. Then at the end, we'll talk about the NFL relations to this. And I'm going to add a fourth case that I find interesting here as well. And I want to specifically put this fourth to acknowledge it's not as important as the moral and ethical conundrums that exist around this case. It's not as important as the legal aspects to this and the accountability for an incredibly rich and powerful man that will hopefully lead to him suffering the consequences that any other company someone who owns or runs a major company would suffer the, the the consequence of not being allowed to run that organization anymore. And the NFL side of things leads into the conversation about Roger Goodell. So those are the four points I want to talk about today. The moral and ethical side to the case, the legal side to the case, the NFL aspect of Dan Snyder and Washington, and then bringing Roger Goodell into the case as well at the end. And I want to start off by talking about the moral and ethical parts of this case. And I kind of want to put a timeline together to kind of follow the events. Because one of the things that this ESPN story that came out on Thursday does is it puts into perspective the timeline of events of just how this has played out over the last two and a half years. So for those who may remember all the way back at the beginning days of the pandemic, this was uh, July 2020. We were coming out of lockdown. Sports had been shut down for three months or so. We were doing a whole bunch of podcasts that I am now looking back on, not that proud of. 
it was part of the learning curve and part of the growth process of learning how to do this thing as a teenager. And at the same time, don't feel great about it. We did a couple stories about this Washington racial slurs story because Washington, during the summer of George Floyd, was adamant that they would not change their team name, and then money got involved, and they ended up changing the name of the racial slurs to the Washington football team. And then what ended up happening in the interim period while all of that was going on is that the Washington Post in July of 2020 released the first story where detailed reporting went into what the toxic workplace and abusive culture of the Washington racial slurs looked like. And Washington, weeks earlier, when they had been contacted by the Washington Post, but before the story went public, either fired, had a resignation or retirement of about 10 to 12 staffers within the organization. Long-time people, including a team broadcaster, a former, uh, not vice president, not vice president, I believe... uh, Uh, someone who had been like a third-in-command type of leader within the organization, uh, ended up resigning. And we didn't know why it was until the Washington Post story comes out and these people are named in that case, which meant that the Washington Post contacted them for comment. They ended up firing those people. And that was the saving face that Washington tried to engage in. And when that began in July of 2020... The Washington football team opened up an investigation into that case, and some of the details that are talked about are about um, team uh, leaders within the uh, front office of the organization, uh, pursuing women for relationships, uh, pressuring women in the organization into relationships, uh, comments that were derogatory, um, being really over-pursuant of of women. You could go down to the cheerleaders and the scandal there with uh, Dan Snyder asking them to be escorts, in essence, for season ticket holders and making derogatory comments in that fashion. Just a very abusive culture that forced a lot of women out of football and, and became a bit of a reckoning and a conversation about hey, this male-dominated atmosphere. And by the way, one of the quotes in that Washington Post story, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it in front of me, was basically the response to Washington having an abusive culture is, this is a boys' club, and if you don't like it, go work somewhere else. And Washington's Human Resources Department was appalling at the time, as many of these corporations still are. We're getting better about it, and it's being funded as an essential resource within a legal right and an essential resource within these corporations. But it was an abysmal Human Resources Department, uh, and the culture began from Dan Snyder on down. And and this is something that was documented, and uh, they they mention it very briefly within the ESPN story, and I kind of want to read this part right here. So this is um, once Dan Snyder... So for context, Dan Snyder buys the Washington football team in 1999. In 2003, he makes a bid for Washington hosting a Super Bowl. When it goes to the Cardinals and the Bidwells, who are very well-respected and loved within the NFL circles, uh, he ends up yelling at everyone, angry that they had decided to give him the Super Bowl. Um, he got a, this is the direct quote, quote, other owners were floored. He got off on the wrong foot and not much has changed since then in 2003. And then this is from the story after that quote, 
The nearly two decades since have laid bare what critics see as Snyder's vindictiveness and paranoia, which was well known within Washington's front office for most of his ownership. Outside the team, Snyder had been better known for losing seasons and his penchant for micromanaging, despite publicly insisting in 2020 that his team's culture problem was because he was, quote, admittedly too hands-off as an owner. He has always insisted on acquiring big names to save his team from Deion Sanders to Bruce Smith to Robert Griffin III to Josh Norman to the late Dwayne Haskins, regardless of what football decision makers advocated. I'm the effing owner, and if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you, he'd sometimes tell high-level football staff half-jokingly, a former team executive says. For years, it seemed like Snyder's biggest off-the-field problem was his stubborn refusal to rename his team. That changed in 2020 when a Washington Post report on the team's culture included numerous allegations of chronic sexual harassment and multiple incidents of misconduct, including some made by former team cheerleaders who accused team executives of creating videos of them partially nude, making disparaging sexual remarks, asking for dates, and telling female employees to flirt with sweet holders. Similar to what we talked about when the Robert Sarver story broke, you have uh, circumstances of belittling employees, uh, making derogatory comments towards female employees, both him and the people that he employed. Obviously, all of the emails that were released from Bruce Allen confirm as such, who was the team president in Washington for an 11 years and kind of became a confidant of Dan Snyder, who didn't really have a whole lot of friends. And that Washington Post story and the subsequent reporting that followed afterwards led to an investigation by Washington in July of 2020 where Dan Snyder ended up hiring a firm to basically pressure people into not collaborating with the report and trying to diminish the results that would be found. And when that was discovered, the NFL took over the investigation. And this is the one that's known as the Beth Wilkinson report because her report was... The one that took, I believe it was 14 months to investigate. The results were discovered and the NFL decided to give Dan Snyder a $10 million fine and he was removed from team circles as Tanya, his wife, ended up like representing the team at team meetings and such. And as far as we know, that's still the case to this day that Dan Snyder is still not allowed at league owner meetings and his wife has to be the main control person for Washington. And that report's findings were never revealed publicly because of what we learned from uh, Don Van Natta and company that, quote, a congressional inquiry would later uncover internal documents showing how the league and Snyder's legal team had secretly struck a deal known as the Common Interest Agreement. That meant both had to sign off before information was released. And that, that was an end quote there, by the way. This does a disservice to the women and to the former team employees who had come forward in reporting and through the investigation and had relived their trauma within the organization. So that's the first circumstance there. There's a second investigation, and the moral and legal sides are being crossed a little bit here. The second investigation is because Snyder personally was indicted for sexual harassment and sex and possible sexual assault when in 2009 he had pressured a team employee into having a physical contact with him had tried to pressure her into having sex on a team plane and they ended up settling with the woman and then when this came to light via the details from the washington post 
the Mary Jo White investigation, which is still ongoing, it's been ongoing for nine months, was opened as a second investigation into the Washington football team. And in that case, and this is getting more into the legal side as well, they were able to speak with the woman who, as we are aware of, according to Don Van Nata and Seth Wickersham, the woman was offered a second deal when it comes to a non-disclosure agreement and si- and paying for her silence so that she didn't talk to Mary Jo White, the investigative reporter. And, and Dan Snyder tried to make it go away. She ended up rejecting the settlement and then ended up speaking to Mary Jo White, the investigator, for the, I guess it's an NFL investigation again. So the NFL investigator spoke to the woman whom Dan Snyder sexually harassed and possibly sexually assaulted back in 2009. And these are the moral and ethical conundrums that under any other circumstance would have someone at the highest levels of positions of power removed from that position of power. And because the NFL has created structures that don't give accountability to team owners, despite the fact that in their uh, collective bargaining agreement, they say that owners are held to a higher standard, they've created protections for owners so that they don't end up going, uh, suffering any of the consequences and perhaps could have their team taken away, even in a circumstance as egregious as Dan Snyder and leaving a trail of victims in his wake and in the wake of the Washington racial slurs over the past 15 to 20 years of his ownership. And so, as I said, the moral and ethical conundrums to this case, where we're talking about uh, cheerleaders being sex, uh, being exposed and filmed new, uh, with nudity without their consent, uh, abuse of women within the workplace, harassment and belittling of team employees, uh, a culture that Uh, an HR department that was egregiously understaffed and leading to women having to quit as a way to preserve their sanity because they were not protected within the boys club atmosphere of the Washington football team. Similar to what we talked about with the Suns and Robert Sarver, Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks. That's what's going on in Washington. And it's a moral and ethical conundrum because people are not allowed to feel safe, comfortable, and are, are, they are not protected in their workspaces. And so all of those moral and ethical conundrums are the first and most important part, which then leads us into the legal side of this. And we discussed the NFL investigation by Beth Wilkinson. Reports had the the largest fine in the history of the NFL, $10 million for Dan Snyder. He's not allowed to quote-unquote run the team, which we'll talk about that more once we get to the NFL side of things. And You have the Mary Jo White investigation, which is still ongoing. It's the second NFL investigation, which is an investigation into Snyder more personally than the first one, which was more a byproduct of the Washington organization and their culture. This is more very specifically tailored towards Snyder himself and speaking to the woman who Dan Snyder sexually harassed and possibly sexually assaulted back in 2009. So we have those two investigations by the NFL, one that's concluded and one where Roger Goodell, as we talked about, they had a uh, a deal where, I'm going to read the direct quote again, um, the congressional inquiry would later uncover internal documents showing how the league and Snyder's legal team struck a secret deal known as a common interest agreement that meant both had to sign off before any information was released. This effectively gave Dan Snyder veto power over the release of negative information as well as direct access to influence the Wilkinson investigation. 
Quote, this agreement afforded Mr. Snyder a back channel to block the release of information and make confidential presentations designed to steer the course of the investigation, the report said. The commanders informed the committee that Mr. Snyder continued to receive periodic updates throughout the course of the Wilkinson investigation, which compromises the end results of the Wilkinson investigation and explains exactly why it was that we didn't have access to any of the information from the Beth Wilkins, why the Beth Wilkinson report was never made public, despite the fact that all of the NFL investigations by most precedent have been made public from Deflategate on down. These have been made public in the past. I mentioned congressional investigation, and this is the other part of the legal aspect to this, which is for the past like eight months, Congress has been investigating whether or not Dan Snyder has committed crimes and whether or not there should be a fundamental restructuring and what you can learn from the Washington football team that will help influence corporate culture across America. And the congressional investigation led to uh, Dan Snyder showing up with veto, basically getting subpoenaed to talk. Um, Roger Goodell ended up speaking to Congress on Zoom and Roger Goodell later apparently was pissed because of the optics of him speaking to Congress while Dan Snyder was on his uh, $14 million yacht in the, uh, I believe, the south of France while Roger Goodell was testifying on his behalf. And that was something that Goodell thought was kind of effed up. And so you have the congressional investigation in 2022, and then you have something that kind of went under the radar, which is the DEA was investigating the Washington football team. And I'm going to read this part because I didn't realize that this was the case. For context, apparently the DEA was investigating whether Washington's head trainer, Ryan Vermillion, was illegally dispensing narcotics. Sources say uh, Jason Wright, who's the new president of Washington, and chief people officer, Andre Chambers wanted to remove Vermillion in early 2021, months before the DEA raided Vermillion's home and the commander's facility, when then-head team physician Robin West alleged that he was being verbally abusive towards her and other staff. But when they raised Vermillion's behavioral concerns with head coach Ron Rivera, he refused to fire the trainer, making clear it was his call alone. Snyder, desperate for stability, had given Rivera power over football operations when he was hired in 2020. Our hands are tied, Wright told people within the organization. In August, Vermillion, who declined comment to ESPN through his attorney, entered into a deferred prosecution agreement after he was accused of unlawfully acquiring and dispensing oxycodone. Only then did Ron Rivera terminate Vermillion, calling the situation, quote, unfortunate. I did not know that there was a drug, there was a oxy investigation into the Washington football team where Dan Snyder could have gotten the guy fired because he was verbally abusive to people he worked with, and Ron Rivera ended up not deciding to work the cultural overhaul. And Jason Wright, by the way, they talk about in this case. So Jason Wright was hired as the first black president of an NFL team, and he's kind of a figurehead, and they talk about how the NFL was running Washington on autopilot, and they basically appointed Jason Wright as the, the new president of the Washington football team. And Jason Wright and his sources, which talked to uh, Don Van Nata and Seth Wickersham and Tisha Thompson, 
talked about how until the ownership situation is resolved, he can't actually work to change the culture. He can't actually make differences. And you hear that when he talks about his hands being tied because Ron Rivera had personnel decision-making and he, the team president, didn't even have the power to have a trainer being investigated by the DEA and a trainer who had been complained about for being verbally abusive to staff didn't have the power to put any consequences down upon him until the DEA had him enter a prosecution agreement. So I didn't even know that that was something that was going on that was got buried under the two NFL investigations into toxic workplace culture plus congressional investigation. So all of those investigations put together create a timeline that looks something like this. You have in uh, July of 2020, the Washington Post story is being, uh, information is being gathered and would ultimately be released. Uh, before then, Washington had 10 to 12 staffers fired, who many of whom we found out were involved in the Washington Post story, which meant that the Washington Post contacted the team and the team ended up making decisions before the report came out to, uh, in the best interest of damage control. You have an investigation started by Washington. Dan Snyder interferes with that, hires uh, private firms to basically pressure people into not collaborating or or working with the investigation. Because of that, the NFL takes over the investigation from the Washington football team in August of 2020. The investigation goes on for about a year. And then you have, as the investigation is winding down in 2021... The John Gruden, Bruce Allen emails get leaked to the uh, Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, which Don Van Natta and company pretty much posed the fact that like we don't know who exactly leaked the emails, but it seems pretty clear that that Dan Snyder would have a pretty clear motive and reason to put that story out there. Here's what they talk about there. In recent months, Snyder had told close confidants that his private investigators dug up incriminating information about Goodell, other unnamed league office executives, and an unknown number of owners. League and ownership sources say there's lots of gossip and speculation about what investigators could have unearthed. Some wonder whether Snyder actually has anything at all and is bluffing as a scare tactic. Anything that came out would likely be in the form of a leak to the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, because multiple league and team sources say... Dan Snyder hates the Washington Post. John Gruden's emails containing racist, misogynistic, and anti-gay language were leaked to the Wall Street Journal in October 2021. A few days later, Bruce Allen's emails were leaked to the New York Times and Gruden resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. There has been no proof of a person linked to Snyder being behind those leaks. Congress's report found that in an attempt to deflect blame onto Bruce Allen, Snyder's attorneys gave the NFL 400,000 emails from an account used by Allen, whom Snyder fired in December 2019. During the Wilkinson inquiry, Snyder and his attorneys identified specific inappropriate emails that, quote, they purportedly believed demonstrated Mr. Allen should have been the main target of the Wilkinson investigation. This is according to Congress's findings adding that the NFL also confirmed that Snyder's lawyers were arguing Bruce Allen had created a toxic environment at the Washington Commanders. So there's motivation for Dan Snyder to leak those specific emails to the New York Times or someone in the NFL in corroboration protecting Dan Snyder 
in that situation. So ultimately, those get leaked in October 2021. John Gruden loses his job. Bruce Allen, who probably wasn't going to work in football again, is now never going to work in football again. Then you have the findings coming out in, I believe, December of 2021. At the Super Bowl, Roger Goodell is forced to answer to the findings of the investigation. He says that they're just not going to make the findings public, which is a pretty clear motivation of we're trying to protect the powerful person here. And as we found out from the congressional investigation, which started in 2022, we now know that the reason they didn't make those public was in part that Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell had a agreement that said Dan Snyder could veto Dan Snyder had to approve anything that would be made public. And so as a result, nothing ended up really being made public because of that agreement to avoid mutually assured destruction. They enabled Dan Snyder to protect himself, which protected the NFL. And so there's an incentive there. We'll talk about that more in a second. So then you have the Wilkinson investigation completes. Congress has been investigating since January of 2022 after Wilkinson's investigation ended. Around that time, the Mary Jo White investigation begins, which is the second inquiry into Washington, but it's more specific towards Dan Snyder and him sexually harassing and possibly sexually assaulting a woman in 2009. Currently, those two are ongoing. Congress released the findings, but they're still doing some investigative work. Dan Snyder is betting on the Democrats losing congressional seats in 2022, the election that comes up next month. And then once once the House of Representatives goes back to Republicans, they'll disband the investigation into Dan Snyder. So that's what he's betting on with the congressional investigation is that Republicans will take over the House and they'll disband the investigation into him. This is confirmed by the reporting by Don Van Natta of ESPN yesterday on Thursday. And you have the Mary Jo White report, which we don't know when that investigation is going to conclude. We're just kind of waiting to see what details come in. And Don Van Natta and Wickersham and Tisha Thompson acknowledge in their story that The outcome of that investigation, and specifically Dan Snyder sexually assaulting a woman in 2009, the details of that becoming public could end up having an effect in terms of public perception of whether or not Dan Snyder ends up being pressured to be forced to sell. Because we know at this point that Dan Snyder, more likely than not, again, there's circumstantial evidence, multiple settlements with the woman, uh, non-disclosure agreements that were signed, uh, the Washington Post uncovered details in 2022. Circumstantial evidence says that Dan Snyder did these things that have been accused of him for many, many years. And the fact that they have pursued multiple non-disclosure agreements and hush money settlements suggests the fact. And so you're looking at that investigation being, at this point, assuming that Dan Snyder is correct and Republicans will end up taking over the congressional seats, You have Dan Snyder having one open investigation against him that could lead to some additional consequences to the already minimal yet largest of any owner other than Jerry Richardson being forced to sell his team quietly that we've seen in the NFL for an owner, but also not strong enough because Dan Snyder, as they talk about in this story, still runs Washington from his landline at his home in, in Virginia. And like he had influence on Ron Rivera giving him the power of personnel decisions and 
getting Carson Wentz in the first place, et cetera, et cetera. So if there isn't going to be an accountability in terms of a punishment levied against the owners because they make up the rules as they go and, hey, $10 million is the largest fine, but a couple years ago it was only $2 million and the owners just make up what the largest possible fines are because no amount of money matters when you're talking about that much equity in a football team. When it comes to the NFL side of this case, the story by Don Van Nata and Seth Wickersham and Tisha Thompson really emphasizes the allyship of Jerry Jones for Dan Snyder. Uh, Dan Snyder was at one point a confidant of Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones looked at him as kind of a protege. Both of them had these infinite resources because Washington was one of the most wealthy organizations in football back in the 1990s. And Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder were the two who who were viewed to be within NFL circles of having a certain level of power within the organ within the league and Jerry Jones kind of took Dan Snyder under his wing of sorts and that offered protection for Dan Snyder around a lot of the behaviors that we're talking about here. And so they talk about how the relationship between Dan Snyder and Jerry Jones who, again, we've talked about before, Jerry Jones, by far the most powerful man in football, that relationship could be the breaking point of when Dan Snyder ends up getting outed by NFL owners. Because Jerry Jones is the leader of the rich people within the NFL circles. And his protection of Dan Snyder does go a long way in order to keep him as an owner at this point. And so here's what the story talks about when it comes to Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder. Quote, in recent weeks... Snyder has felt personally and re- has personally and repeatedly asked Jerry Jones to have his back and to persuade fellow owners not to throw him out. But a source says Jones told Snyder he might not be able to help, indicating that support for Snyder has slipped. When discussing Jones's lack of support, Snyder snapped to a confidant, quote, Jerry has his own problems, end quote. Also, side note from me, remember, we know that from the big headline of the story, which is, Dan Snyder has, according to his sources, dug up stuff on Jerry Jones. He's got stuff about Jerry Jones that he wouldn't want to be made public, and he'd be willing to take him down with him in a ploy of desperation. We don't know if he has it or not. He's just claiming, according to sources, that he has dirt on Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell and about at least six owners. The sources say, quote, Dan has to make his own defense with owners. Asked if Snyder had reached out to Jones about this story, Cowboy spokesperson Jim Wilkinson declined to comment. Around owners, Jerry Jones has been careful not to defend Snyder's character, instead praising how hard Snyder is working to, quote, right the ship and trying to build a new stadium. It's the best thing he can say. He's trying. An executive who has been in the meetings says of Jones's defense. The executive adds that team owners are willing to look the other way on Jerry Jones's own issues, including a Cowboys cheerleader voyeurism scandal involving a senior executive and a lawsuit by a 25-year-old woman who says Jerry Jones is her father because Jerry Jones is they're willing to look past it because his ingenuity and vision for growing the NFL pie has made rich men richer. The opposite is true with Dan Snyder. Owners and league executives have repeatedly bemoaned the business woes in Washington, which was once one of the league's best markets. And this is the line that all of this is setting up for, and the conversation around the NFL at large. 
Some owners seem more bothered by Snyder's poor financial showing than they are by the sexual misconduct allegations, while acknowledging, as one owner said, the toxic workplace issues are, quote, not a good look for the league. They think that toxic workplace and sexual misconduct is not a deal breaker. Financial ruin added to that ends up being a deal breaker where he begins to lose support. The financials are more important to the owners, which is not a surprise, right? Like the purpose of having billions of dollars apparently in America is to make more billions of dollars seems to be the way that this thing works. Rich people want to make more money. They want to increase valuations, et cetera, et cetera. And so the NFL is motivated by the dollar. They are a corporate, I mean, they're a collective of 32 corporations within one gigantic $100 billion mega corporation. And the NFL's first and foremost priority is to increase the value of the franchise because that's what the prerogative of the 32 owners is. And so when it comes to this story, the stadium deal is part of the deal breaker. And also there's reports that Dan Snyder has been hiding revenue sharing money and the owners, this is a, a good quote that kind of sums up what we're talking about when it comes to the financial side of this, which is what will ultimately lead to the accountability of him being forced to sell his team and make billions of dollars. Because in America, we really like to defend property rights. Multiple ownership, this is from the story, quote, multiple ownership and team sources complain that ticket sales for about half of Washington's seats, which their capacity was lowered by 30%, uh, is controlled by ticket brokers, which is the highest ratio in the NFL. Quote, he's a partner, and he's not pulling his end of the partnership, a senior executive of a rival team says. Some owners aren't liked in their cities because their team is losing, the veteran owner explains. That goes with the territory. Snyder isn't liked because of what he's done to the franchise, with all its history. The stadium is falling apart, the team is underperforming. He can't get a new stadium. There's no way out. He may have passed the point of no return. Again, this is an owner saying this. This is a, a, a one of his 32 partners or one of his 31 partners saying this. We don't know who it is because it's anonymous. This is one of his 31 partners saying Snyder isn't liked because of what he has done to the franchise. The stadium is falling apart. The team is underperforming. He can't get a new stadium. There's no way out. He may have passed the point of no return. And if you read the full story, there's this amazing quote that cut that there's this amazing story talking about how Dan Snyder had bipartisan support because he lobbied the Virginia state. Or I believe it was either Virginia or DC, but he lobbied the state in order to get a new deal in place. And ultimately he was so toxic that when it was announced that it was going to be called to a vote, they got outpourings of mail and letters and phone calls to your, their congresspeople saying that they cannot stand for this type of support. Dan Snyder had bipartisan support for a new publicly funded stadium, and Dan Snyder didn't get it because his name is so smeared within the community that people called their representatives and a deal with bipartisan support never got a vote. They never got a vote because they ended up, the, the story details how they ended up going into uh, polls and 
data, uh, collecting data, and of, I believe it was 900-something representatives, or 900-something people who they surveyed, 85% had a negative opinion of Dan Snyder and of the Washington team, and so they just never called a vote. The stadium had bipartisan support, never called a vote. Totally unprecedented situation because of how toxic Dan Snyder is. And this is the part of the story that ends up summing together everything that comes with the financials of the stadium, which is if Dan Snyder can't get a new stadium, his franchise goes down, which means other teams' franchises go down because the NFL is a collective of 32 teams and whatever their net values are worth. And that's how you get the $100 billion valuation of the NFL. And so when it comes to the NFL side of this case, we could talk about Jerry Jones and how he's kind of the last protection for Dan Snyder. And Dan Snyder is also hedging his bet by collecting dirt on Jerry Jones that he can use to, I mean, embarrass him. But like it won't be anything worse than what Snyder has done because there is no case like that. And so Jerry Jones is part of this story. The sexual harassment and sexual assault is part of this story. The toxic workplace is part of this story. And when it comes to the NFL specifically and the cold cutthroat corporate atmosphere that we have decided that we're okay giving hundreds of billions of dollars to as consumers. We have the quote from earlier, Dan Snyder and the NFL, quote, some owners seem more bothered by Snyder's poor financial showing than they are by sexual misconduct allegations, while acknowledging, as one owner said, the toxic workplace is not a good look for the NFL, in quotes. I'm doing air quotes, but it's a podcast, so you can't see it. He is a partner, and he's not pulling his end of the partnership. A, one of his 31 partners, remember, said... That goes with the territory where some owners aren't liked in their cities because their team is losing. Snyder isn't liked because of what he's done with that franchise with all its history. The stadium is falling apart. The team is underperforming. He can't get a new stadium. There's no way out. He may have passed the point of no return. When asked whether his fellow owners would forgive Snyder for the team's financial woes and the toxic culture scandal, if Snyder could build a new stadium, that owner quickly replied, yes. When asked if Snyder is aware of that, the owner said, yes. Toxic workplaces, abusive women, sexual assault and sexual harassment will all be looked past. Moral and ethical compromises at every turn we will turn our back to if you can make us more money. All right, everybody, I am super duper excited to tell you about andcaller.com. You know how I always say support our dreams on the show? Andcaller is literally supporting our dreams. They are covering expenses for Blake, Jude, and I to meet up in Salt Lake City and watch Arizona play Utah. This road trip was a joke that Blake, Jude, and I came up with back in August. And thanks to Andcaller, it's actually going to happen. If you go to andcaller.com, and there's a link in the description to this episode, you can shop all of your wardrobe needs. They've got shirts, polos, blazers, pants, socks, and more. My new wardrobe is coming in this week. Super excited about that. For our listeners, Andcaller is offering two promotions for you. Two promotions. Number one, all orders over $100, Andcaller is going to cover the shipping. $10 to $15 free. They'll cover the cost. And two, any orders of $40 or more will get a free tie when you use our promo code 
easy. That's E-A-S-Y with the link in this episode at andcaller.com. That's andcaller.com. Support our dreams by supporting the people who are helping making those dreams possible. So the last part of this story I want to talk about is the perspective of Roger Goodell. And I wanted to wait till the very end because I want to emphasize abuse within the organization, moral and ethical conflicts at every turn, uh, sexual harassment and sexual assault, racism, racism towards team employees, not just in day-to-day interactions, but also in the structures of the organization itself. Those are far more important than the Roger Goodell side of it. And the accountability for that is more important, which is why we talked about the legal aspects and all the investigations. And we talked about the NFL side of it and the fact that the NFL has the power to force Snyder to sell, which will be not a form of it'll reward Snyder with tons of money. It will just hopefully whoever the next person comes in help protect people and lead to a cultural overhaul that will change for the better in the future. Because as as they talk about in the story, Jason Wright doesn't have the power to change the culture and multiple women who were hired within the last two years have resigned within months of taking the job because of how the culture remains similar to how it was before. And that is going to need Dan Snyder to be removed if it is going to improve for the better in the future. The Roger Goodell point is less important and interesting than those, and it's the part that I want to talk about here at the end, because there were two parts of this story that I found incredibly fascinating as it relates to Roger Goodell. And I'm going to read this excerpt from the start, and then go to the end of the story where they talk about Roger Goodell again. Quote, in a bid to shore up support, Dan Snyder has visited a handful of owners around the country, sources say, and he has told associates that he is confident he won't be voted out. As longtime owner, Dan has the support of many of his peers, the team spokesperson said. If any such vote about Snyder's fate is held, it won't likely be because the commissioner has pushed for one. Roger Goodell has made clear that Snyder's permanent status is an ownership decision, and he has avoided mentioning Dan Snyder at closed-door meetings. Sources say Goodell is clearly more comfortable challenging owners on issues related to the integrity of the game, which, if you're looking for examples, Deflategate, Spygate, Greg Williams and Bountygate. Roger Goodell is more comfortable challenging owners on issues related to integrity of the game than the culture of their businesses. Indeed, it galls some owners and league and team executives that the NFL has been in lockstep with Washington on many fronts, propping up the franchise, in the words of one owner, by burying attorney Beth Wilkinson's report about the team's toxic workplace and helping the commanders avoid penalties for repeated violations of the Rooney Rule. It's clear, one owner said, this again, one of the 32 people who employs Roger Goodell, that Goodell, quote, doesn't want to touch this. This is what happens when you get into business with bad people, this owner said about Snyder. They know he'll burn the houses down. Now I want to fast forward towards the back end of the story where they talk about the rules are different. On June 22nd, Roger Goodell testified before the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Goodell later told associates in colorful language that he couldn't believe he had to testify as Snyder was on his yacht, dodging Congress. Snyder's 305-foot yacht 
Lady S, which rents at $1.4 million a week with a 33-person crew, was off the French coast near Keynes that day, according to navigational data. During the hearing, Representative Rashida Tlaib asked Adel to point blank about Snyder's fate. Quote, will you remove him? Quote, I don't have the authority to remove him, Congresswoman, Goodell replied. But under the NFL Constitution, Goodell has the authority to recommend the removal of an owner to the other 31 owners. He later testified that he was not aware of any option for Snyder's removal being discussed among owners. Goodell has shown little initiative to play any role in kicking out Snyder, despite the sentiment of league staff, many of whom are, whom are furious about allegations of the commander's toxic environment and Snyder's own behavior, both alleged and confirmed. They are disgusted at having to work on behalf of Snyder and the likes of Jimmy and D. Haslam, who rewarded Deshaun Watson with a $230 million fully guaranteed contract a year after he was accused of improper sexual behavior by more than two dozen massage therapists. As another executive familiar with Goodell's thinking says, quote, when it's an owner in the crosshairs, the rules are different, end quote. Goodell is always taking the temperature of owners, and his main job is to protect them. He won't put Snyder's fate to a vote unless he knows the result wanted by three-quarters of the owners, says a team executive close to Goodell. Quote, but I know Roger wants this off his plate. He wants Snyder gone tomorrow. Snyder's fate rests in the owner's hands, and despite their anger towards him, they're apprehensive to remove a fellow owner. They tend to move slowly on any initiative not intended to turn an instant profit. Owners and executives tell ESPN they're annoyed that Snyder has flaunted how little he cares about his league penalties. Goodell has not used the word suspended when publicly discussing Snyder's departure, but usually says he's stepping away. Snyder's lawyers told ESPN this is mutually agreed separation from the team has ended, and they added that the decision to have Tanya attend recent league meetings was Snyder's and is not the result of requirements imposed by the NFL. NFL spokesperson Brian McCarthy declined to answer those questions, saying in a statement, Goodell's decisions have been based on a comprehensive workplace review of conducted by Beth Wilkinson and the grounds were identified by in public statements made at the time that the discipline and remedial measures were announced. A league source says Goodell is operating under the premise that Snyder is still under active investigation and the limits imposed upon him will continue. Snyder recently asked permission to attend league meetings again, resuming his old post next to Jerry Jones at the table. But Goodell has said no. The league has quietly gone out of its way to help Snyder through this period of turmoil, irritating some owners and executives. In 2020, the NFL flagged two Snyder hires, Julie Donaldson to vice president of media and the elevation of longtime Snyder aide Terry Bateman to executive vice president and chief marketing officer. Both Donaldson and Bateman are white, and these were violations of the Rooney rule. At the time, the rule mandated that both a minority and a woman had to be interviewed for executive positions. If a league inquiry found Rooney rule violations, it could have cost Snyder money and draft picks. Neither happened. And that's where I'm going to end the story there. And the conclusion that I drew from these points was something interesting, which is Roger Goodell wants Dan Snyder gone tomorrow. He just won't lead as someone employed by the owners, in part employed by Dan Snyder, he won't lead in a way that forces Dan Snyder's hand. 
He's going to wait until he gets to 24, and then will naturally take this hands-off approach. Dan Snyder is not willing to die on this hill. He's not willing to risk his career on Dan Snyder and the stance of removing Dan Snyder, which is the right thing to do. The morally correct thing would be to make a stand against Dan Snyder. The ethically correct thing to do and the the position of a leader, which I know Roger Goodell is not always a leader, but he leads on certain issues. Roger Goodell, who is supposed to be the leader figure of the sport, hired by the owners to be a meat shield, Roger Goodell has decided this isn't the sword, this isn't the fight he's willing to die on. Roger Goodell is not willing to go down trying to get Dan Snyder out of power. And as the, the, the owner who was talking at the very beginning said, this is what happens when you get into business with bad people. And Roger Goodell is not willing to risk his career to do the right thing. Roger Goodell is not willing to lead on this case. And Roger Goodell's in an incredibly compromised position. And of course, he's not going to get everything right. It's just really disappointing if that's the person who you turn to as a leader of a $100 billion corporation, and I know he's paid by the owners. I know that he works for them at the same time. He is a leader when it comes to integrity of the game concerns. Uh, He's a leader when it comes to making profits for the league and protecting the sanctity of the sport. He's a leader when it comes to rule changes and adaptations that are related to football. He's a leader when it comes to television contracts and negotiating with new... When it comes to turning profits, he has the support, and so it's easier for him to lead. When it's difficult for him to lead, Roger Goodell is not willing to put his career on the line for it. Which, by the way, he put his career on the line when Ray Rice happened in 2014. When he double punished and he became crime and punishment guy and he became a leader in that spot, owners were trying to get him out because they didn't like that. And ultimately, they decided in the long run, this was not a hill they were willing to die on and get rid of Roger Goodell, who was really good at negotiating a collective bargaining agreement and really good at negotiating television contracts because Roger Goodell is really good at his job. And that was one time where he went against what the owners wanted and was willing to potentially die on the hill of being crime and punishment guy, which is leading in the wrong direction. I mean, he did the right thing in double punishing Ray Rice. He he made an impact in trying to change the perception of foot, of the NFL and the accountability measures that exist. And when it comes to this case, he has laid down his sword and said, I will not risk my career on this Dan Snyder. I will not risk my career to do the right thing and try and call a vote to get Dan Snyder out. And, you know, he's in an incredibly compromised position. All I can say is that that's disappointing to hear. History will not reflect Roger Goodell well in that space. And like the owner said in the story, it's what happens when you get into business with bad people. Roger Goodell is compromised at every turn. He is hired by management to defend and deflect for 32 individual corporations and ultimately a $100 billion corporation. He gets paid a lot of money for it. It's just disappointing that here he has decided to lay down his sword because it's not something that he's willing to stand on. When he has support growing within the league circles, he's just going to be a follower on this one, the same way he's a follower on Colin Kaepernick. Roger Goodell personally wanted Colin Kaepernick back in the NFL, and it wasn't 
And by the way, if you know Roger Goodell's history, I will also say Roger Goodell has made sure his own closet, his own skeletons are better. Like he's very good at hiring diverse people from diverse backgrounds within the NFL league offices. He has made that a mission of himself that he wants to have a more diverse and inclusive workplace that he can control. He can't control the business practices of his bosses, but he could be a leader in that situation and use some of the power and credibility that he has to make a positive impact and make and do the right thing and be a leader. And I and in this case, Roger Goodell has laid down his sword and he will not be a leader in this case because he's not willing to risk his job to force Dan Snyder out, even as he has growing support. And my takeaway from that is that's disappointing. Just as it's disappointing that he laid down his sword on Colin Kaepernick. He didn't want he wanted Colin Kaepernick in the league. He didn't want it bad enough. And he wanted to he wanted to, he didn't want it bad enough that he was willing to fight the owners on it. He wasn't willing to go far enough to to push them on that and push the envelope on this is a direction that we need to go. He wasn't willing to be a leader in that respect. As someone who's hired to be a leader, I mean, he, to lead the NFL, he's hired to lead the NFL. He didn't want to be a leader in that case, and he doesn't want to be a leader on taking a stand against Dan Snyder, even though he has some of the support. He just doesn't have the arbitrary 75% that's made up to get Dan Snyder gone. And that's disappointing. That's disappointing to hear and disappointing to acknowledge um, as I was reading this story. And that was one of the takeaways that, again, is not as important as the other topics that we discussed. I also thought was interesting that, that Roger Goodell has decided, I care about this and I'm pissed at Dan Snyder and I want him gone tomorrow. And at the same time, I'm not willing to risk it to do the right thing. I'm not willing to lead and risk possibly losing my job to do the right thing. That's disappointing. It's disappointing from the uh, quote-unquote leader of a $100 billion corporation. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We'll have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday. There might be a Wired Up this week. We'll have a post-game show for Bills and Chiefs. It's NFL Monday, so we'll talk about everything that happens there. We'll talk to you again next week. Take it easy, everybody.